0: So would you please, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, I'm going to back up a little to 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1, because that's where we were uh, last week, but we kind of stopped in the middle of the story. Now we kind of got, in essence, the majority of the story of Nahaman the commander, but we really kind of have to get the story of the other guy in the story that's focusing on, and that is Gachazi. So go to the Lord in prayer with me, would you please? Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word and for this time that you're going to just bless us because you like blessing, you love blessing your kids. and I just thank you that we could sit in this, well, quite warm room and just be blessed and be safe and enjoy you and each other. Lord, please equip us, challenge us, encourage us, exhort us. Lord, um, do all those things you intend your word to do so that each one of us could be more and more and more like you and more available and more uh, used and more fruitful and more productive to bear much fruit and let that fruit remain. And Lord, I pray that um, for this Easter week as uh, on this day, Jesus, it appears as if this was kind of a day of great challenge where a lot of people were asking you questions, trying to stump you it was like, try to stump Jesus day. And of course, everybody loses But Lord, I just, uh, on this day, Lord, this week, we just pray that you ready our hearts for those people who just, just might show up on an Easter Sunday somewhere. And I do pray, Lord, that would be the case here. That um, you would use us, Lord, to just bring people to you and you to people. But now in this time, Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit so you would appear and come upon me that you would do the work. And now, Lord, Redeem every second, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Nachaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. That's kind of a very important side note. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Nachaman's wife she said to her mistress, again, that's Nechaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Nahaman went in and told his master, saying thus and thus, said the girl who was uh, from the land of, of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothing. And we're we're looking at, for what it's worth, really, very very conservatively, we're looking at somewhere roughly. Well, we're looking at about a half a million pounds, uh, as far as the, just the gold and silver alone. Nonetheless, the Armani's that he's bringing and so forth. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when the letter comes to you that I have sent Nechaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read this letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, consider, please, and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. This guy's trying to pick a fight. And now it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and that he sent to the king then, saying, why have you torn your clothes? And I remind you, it wasn't like he did it in front of Elisha. Please let him come to me and you shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Now, start with this again. And again, I'm just doing this for recap, but it's important to note where we're at with this. A little background on this little political temperature because that really, to me, this whole thing just doesn't, It's just insane, because here's kind of the idea. There are obviously two kingdoms we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the kingdom of of Israel, which at this point is the ten northern tribes north of Jerusalem, starting in Bethlehem, working their way up north, because there had been a civil war in Israel. The southern tribes, by the way, are basically the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, calling themselves Judah, which is where we get the term Jew to this day from that. So in the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes are up there, and that's one kingdom. And then we have this other kingdom from this guy who's a commander, and that's the kingdom of Syria, which today is called Syria. The area of Israel today is called Israel. Look at how that worked out. So you figured that one out, right? That's like, how do you say croissant in French? Croissant, wow, well, easy language. Now, here's the situation. Here's a little bit of recent history. The guy who's reigning right now in, in Israel... His name, for what it's worth, uh, well, it's just important to note who his dad is more than anything. The dad, his dad was King Ahab, or Ahav, his name is uh, Yeah Yehoram. And what happened is, is that this dad of his, that's now dead, and the king of Syria, who's still there, his name is ben have had a little bit of history together, and it goes all the way back to First Kings chapter 20. In First Kings chapter twenty, I remind you that was where the king of Syria said, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kill all of you guys." But you actually, or better yet, why don't I just take all your, I'll take all of your best wives, I'll take all of your best uh, children, and the gold and silver from your treasury, uh, and we'll call it quits. And, and King F was like, "Yeah, that's cool, whatever." And and he was like, "That was easy." He goes, "Well, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna send my servants through everyone's house too, and we just whatever they like." Flat screens, that's cool. Lava lamp, doesn't matter if they like it, they're taking it. And what's interesting, of course, is King Ahab, the current king's dad, says, that's where I draw the line. You could take my wives, you could take my children, you can take the gold from the treasury, just don't touch my stuff. That tells you a little bit about where how messed up dad was, right? And to remind you, that's Jezebel's husband, for what it's worth. So maybe I actually to be honest, that part I kinda get. You you can have my wife, ever, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors, buddy. And so what happens is that at that point now, they start trash-talking. You know, and the king of Syria, who, by the way, has a very, very substantial and vast army, says, you know, he starts talking like Mr. T, at least. That's how I hear it in my head. Not enough dust in the ground. In other words, we're going to take so much of everything, there won't even be dust left for you to grab a hold of by the time we're done. It's like, we're going to take the stuff we don't even want. We're going to take that ugly painting that you inherited, you know, that you don't even. We're going to take it all just to take it. We're going to spite you. And, of course, King Ahab actually trash talks back and he says, Let not a man who puts on his armor brag like a guy who's taking it off. Hey, you, anyone talks big on the way into the ring, but only one guy talks big on the way out. So what happens? They engage in a battle and Israel wins. But The problem was it was up on a hill. And as they fight up on a hill, that should be strange because the northern area of Syria, they worship Baal, who, by the way, is supposed to live on hills and uh, answer with lightning. That was the whole point of Elia, you know, with the whole answer by fire thing. It was like putting all the ball in his court. Nonetheless, in this, they're like, well, here's the problem is that he's obviously because all their gods in their mindset were territorial. And you're probably aware to this day in the Middle East, it's never about a kingdom versus a kingdom. And it's never about a a politic versus a politic. It's about one God versus another. It's always going to be that in the Middle East to this day. It's like people don't hate Jews because they're Jewish. They hate Jews because the God of the Jews. That becomes the problem. Now, with all of that said, it isn't the same God because if it was the same God, they wouldn't be hating each other like that. All all that they go. Well, he's he's obviously territorial, and he obviously has the hills. Well, let's get him in the plains, and we'll whoop him there. And God's like, you know, just because they said that alone, let's just whoop him there too. So they do. But it tells us, by the way, that the Israel was like two little flocks of goats, and is where Syria covered the countryside. So it really was disproportional. you know. And in that, of course, ultimately, what happens is is that. Well, they just get it. Syria gets it handed to 100,000 of the foot soldiers die from goats. A couple flock of goats, if you think of it that way. Maybe my guess is maybe it's like the screaming goats. If you've ever seen like like, you know, like they put in things like Taylor Swift videos and stuff. Anyways, all of that said. And then it says a bunch of these guys, the Syrians start fleeing and 27,000 of them die because a wall falls on them. And my first thought is that is a big wall. 27,000 people. But the king, ben is spared. And as he is spared, which, by the way, was not supposed to be what was supposed to happen, and that he was spared by King Ahab, again, the current king's dad. As a result of that, God's like, you know, this guy, his, his whole life's ambition is to destroy your country and to destroy you and to destroy your people. There comes a point where you realize this is not a mercy to your people. And he says, well, and so that king of Syria is like, you know what? All that land my dad took, I'm going to just give it back to you. Three years, fast forward, three years later, guess what? They got none of that land back. So King Ahab again says, now we're going to go to battle, but let's start, we're going to start the fight this time because I'm going to get that land back. And he contacts the king of the south. That's Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. And he says, hey, you guys. Let's, let's get together and let's go and take these guys. I want my land back. You want to help me, little brother? Kind of thing. And Jehoshaphat's like, you know, it's classic Jehoshaphat, leap first, pray later. He's like, yeah, man, I'm like you, man. We're together. We're bros. Loose paraphrase. Please don't just believe me, First Kings 20. Now we're moving our way through that, First Kings 22. And he's like, my army's your army. My men are your men. Come on, man. Me men, they sue men, right? You know, and, and with all of that, You know, it's like, but he's like, and then somewhere down the line, Jehoshaphat kind of sobers up for a second. He's like, wait a minute, you know, do you have like any prophets we should talk to? He's like, yeah, I've got all kinds of prophets. Yeah, But do you have like a real one? Like like one that's, you know, of God. And he's like, oh, well, there's this one guy, but I hate him. Remember that story? Because it's one of my favorite stories in that sense. And he's like, wait a minute, the guy I'm pairing up with here hates the living God and he hates the one guy who's going to tell him the truth. If you hate people that tell you the truth, Mm, let's be pen pals at best anyways but in it he goes and so he's like oh right, will bring him in and so they bring in this guy and he's like oh yeah, everything's fine go ahead and he goes now tell me the truth he goes i'll tell you what i'll tell you the truth king ahab you're gonna die in this battle they're gonna gun for you And god says it's your time's done man you're done god's counted your breaths and again this is a loose paraphrase he's counted your breaths he knows and that's where they end so they're about to go into battle, and Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat, I remind you, the king of the south, and he's like, hey, I got a fun thing. How about I don't dress like a king, but you do. Now, how dumb do you have to be to not see through that one? Now, the prophet's like, they're going to kill you, king. And he's like, okay, how about I just dress like everybody else? You dress like the king. And he's like, okay, sure. And so they go into battle, and they, they see King Jehoshaphat thinking he's King Ahab, and they're like, chase him, and ah, he starts screaming like a little girl. And with that, they're like, well, that's clearly not King Ahab. And then it tells us, remember this? It says a random, and this is my least paraphrase, a random ADD soldiers, like, doing, just playing with his, with his bow, throws an arrow, and him, where did that go? And it goes, and it gets him right between the, the joints of, of his armor, of Saul's armor, I'm sorry, of Ahab's armor, and he goes down and dies. Now, why is that so important? Because the guy who's ruling right now, his dad was killed by this current king of Syria. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I mean, that's what I'm getting out of this. That was the last encounter these guys kind of had together. Now all of a sudden you get a letter. And it's like, hey, by the way, I've got like this commander who's, by the way, clearly according to these verses, he's raided your people. And he's like been stealing your girls, clearly because like the girl that's serving my wife, you know, or serving his wife, sorry, happens to be a Hebrew girl, right? So, hey, you know, you know, in other words, it's kind of like, hey, I've got a personal favor to ask. All that, like, killing all your people, that's actually, don't take that personally. That's just business, right? But, like, I've got, like, the commander who's, like, been, like, really a dangerous guy to you guys. He's got leprosy, and you should be helping him, king of Israel. Now, which part of you thinks leprosy? Ah, ha, 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 the judgment of God on you. I mean, when you go there? And think about this for a second. They have lived to, to, I mean, if they are not engaged in war with each other, they're kind of doing these kind of little terrorist moments of kind of going in and raiding guerrilla tactics and stealing everything and people. And so it's like, I don't get how in the world this works out to me. Except to be honest, this is kind of Israeli politics to this day. Where it's like, it's like, you know, I most likely will bomb you tomorrow, but today let's like have a, let's do something together. Okay. You know, and, and again, it's infinitely more, can I just say this? It's infinitely more complex than anybody who reads a couple articles is ever going to be able to figure out. Because this goes way deep and it goes way long and it goes very, very, this is a very extenuating thing. All of that to say, the king, of course, freaks out. Did you notice? I remind you, his dad was killed by the current king, Ben-Handad. And he's like, oh, oh, my God, to do this? Which clearly, this guy who's not obeying God, this cranking, you know, he still knows that it's God who kills and makes alive. And yet he looks and he goes, I can't do this. Meanwhile, back in the camp, the prophet's sitting over there and he kind of gets this sort of, You've got a message, right? It's like, it's from God. Oh, look at what it says. The king's torn his clothes. He's freaking out because he got a letter from the king of Syria that says his commander has leprosy and he's supposed to do something about it. So, Elisha kind of gets up and he goes and he's like, you know, hey, Kingy, why are you tearing your clothes? Have you forgotten I'm in town? Have you forgotten that there's a God who can do this? Clearly, you are not equipped to do this, but my God can. And by the way, they need to know where the real prophet is, which is interesting because he's the one prophet I can see at this moment that's actually not under the employ of the current king who has employed a whole lot of false prophets. Now, there are schools of prophets, which we get, which maybe that's why they have these schools, is because the false prophets are the only ones that get hired by the king. So he says, just go let him know. So the king, so Nahaman, so the, you know, so what happens is Nachaman, that commander goes, Oh wow, I guess this is gonna happen, right? So it says that Nahaman verse nine went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha, remember this? Send a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and it shall be clean. But Nachaman came furious, and he went away and said, Indeed. I said to myself, You will surely come to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He has rehearsed this moment in his mind. Have you noticed that? So this commander shows up again, and he shows up showing how important he is to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even answer the door. You know? It's like some, it, we don't even read that it's the messenger or Elisha's personal servant, Gachazi, who we'll get into in a moment. It's just some guy that seems to be in the house at the moment. It might be the gardener be whatever. But the point is, is that she says, hey, the guy's going to come to the door and he's kind of coming in looking like a rap battle. He's got all of his posse beside him. He's got his horses and his chariots. He's got his blang blang. And he shows up at the door and he's kind of putting everything in place for the perfect camera moment. And he's already rehearsed it. What's going to happen is Elisha's going to step on and go, Wow, you're clearly important. Look at all of this. Whatever, whatever it is in his head, but it's but apparently some of it is involving the waving of hands. He said that. And she's going to say something, and then I'm going to look and go, Whoa, I don't have leprosy. Awesome. And what he gets is, Go wash in the, pool of the, go wash in the Jordan. And that's it. And so he's freaked out and angry. And he says, are not the Abana and the Farpar rivers in Damascus better waters? He's actually sending me to this nasty, slimy, cold thing that's called the Jordan. I do think it's interesting. To this day, by the way, for those who like to be baptized in the Jordan, please be my guest. We would love to do it, but I want to warn you, it's still cold, and it's still slimy, and it's still awesome. But there are catfish, so don't get baptized with your mouth open. And we've had a couple of gals. I mean, there have been really awesome moments. Uh, we've, uh, I think it was our last trip. Of the. Tri- it was the last trip, Right where a precious sister went into the water. I mean, she had her hair all kind of all looking nice and all that and so forth. And she went down, and she came up, and it looked like this muskrat thing was floating in the water. She had lost her extension. So, yeah. So, and imagine, she was like, uh, uh, whoo, you know. And we didn't, I mean, you know, like I was just standing in the water and going, what's that? Because it's just a hairy thing floating in the water. Yeah, you're like okay. I mean, some of of the most amazing moments. Quick, quick story because I really have to get into this, but please hear me. Several years ago, back when we used to go once or twice a year. Of course, you always go to, to the Jordan because people always want to get baptized there, which I think is totally awesome. And one year we go there, and they're like, "Are you Pastor Tony? Is this shoreline?" And I'm like, "Yes, I am. That is." He goes, "Well." There's this guy. Do you speak French? I'm like, that yeah, enough. He goes, well, there's this guy, and he wants to get baptized here, and we've been waiting. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So uh, I'm like, well, we're going to need to talk to him because we really need to make sure that this is a, the real deal, and he's not just, wouldn't that be cool? To, and so I'm asking him if he's received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. What does that mean? And so forth, and it's like he's like, yeah, I'm total, I'm 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 in this. This is I'm, I I believe all of that. Okay, well cool. Well then let's get you. And so you know you kind of line up the people and you give everyone a, a chance to testify. And this man begins to testify. And apparently the story goes like this: but there was this guy in France that found this internet program, this podcast, and he really liked the teacher. And the guy talked really fast, and because he was translating, he wanted to take the challenge of translating this podcast into French as this guy was talking. And what happened is he would have this Bible study, and the Bible study was that he grabbed a bunch of French guys, brought him into his room, uh, into his house, uh, his flat, and then uh, he would translate. He would put on headphones and then just translate what he was hearing. Well, this particular person gave an altar call at the end of every message, and this particular guy responded and then he was like well who in the world is this guy anyways and so he looked online and he found out that that particular guy and that particular church was going to israel he had been waiting there for three days because every day he was waiting for shoreline to show up because he had given his life to christ through the ministry how totally epic is that and if that wasn't the most profound moment there was one other very stark fact that i discovered that day and that is because you know they give you these like white linen gowns that pretty much just kind of look like, uh, what do you call them here when you're about to get surgery and they slap those things on you? Dressing gown or whatever, right? It's just kind of bed sheet material like linen or whatever and you're just kind of wearing it and you tie in the back and hope that it doesn't come. Well, what we discovered is, is that when you baptize a French guy in the Jordan River, they don't wear anything under that robe. So, when, and when that particular thing gets wet, yeah, that, anyways, that's the end of that story. So, the bottom line is, is that this guy looks, and he has these two very beautiful rivers. And he's like, why don't I go to these beautiful rivers? Why do I have to go to this nasty, skanky thing down over here? And I love, and please don't miss this, in verse 13, the servant, and again, this is Nechaman, the Syrian commander's servants, came near and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great... Wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he says, to you wash and be clean? He's like, look it. He's not asking you to do anything difficult. If he'd asked you to do something difficult, you would have gladly done it, wouldn't you? Because then you could say you did it. What he asked you to do is the thing that's the hardest thing for some of us to do, and that's the easy thing. God's easy can be often my hard because it takes humility. He's like, will you just surrender to me? Every person can surrender. But the biggest thing that fights us is pride. He's like, why are you fighting me? I'm saving you. So he's like, and apparently this servant was enough. That was all. He's like, look, if God asked you to do something, if God didn't ask you to do something difficult, but what God is asking is, I want you to share with that person. Well, I don't know what to share. Trust God that he'll tell you. Well, God's calling you to go and, and you know he's telling you, go invite that person to tea or go invite that person to coffee or just go and sit down with that person and hear their story or whatever it is. And you're like, no, I need something more difficult. Can I do a 40-day fast? God's like, I'm not asking you a 40-day fast. I know what I'm asking you to do is this very simple thing. The problem is when God gives you something simple, the only issue left is obedience. If he gives you something difficult, then you could be like, well, this is going to be hard and I'm not sure I'm able to do it. But if he's like, this is a simple thing, then the only thing left to do is go, wow, I actually am disobedient in this. Well, he went down and he dipped into the Jordan seven times. And I wonder if if he cleansed in grades or if it was like six times nothing happened. It doesn't tell us. All we know is by the time he came up on the seventh time, he was is like baby skin which had to look really funny on a warrior like this guy so his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean and that's kind of where we left off verse 15 says he returned to the man of god so now he comes back which is interesting because let me remind you do you remember the condition he was in when he left he stormed off remember that he threw a little hissy fit and had a tantrum somewhere after leaving his servant said hey hey hold on a second there is healing you just don't like the way it is let me ask you how many ways was he able to get healed how many options did he have this should be a simple question how many options did Elisha give him for his healing he had one but it wasn't the one he wanted but it was one how many uh, how many options did nahamim deserve zero let me remind you he was the enemy of israel can i remind you of that an enemy came and he was given one option and he stormed off because he didn't like the option right you kind of know where i'm going with this right you're an enemy to god Every human being is born an enemy of God because it tells us we were by nature children of wrath. We're not born children of God. He's like, everybody's a child of God. No, actually, everyone's a child of wrath, and God will happily adopt you out of that family. But for that to happen, you have to say yes. You may not like the way that he does it, because, but I don't understand why you wouldn't. God took all of your punishment and he put it upon his son. What better option could you come up with than that? It's the only option in any religion where all the crimes and all of the the, the wrong gets punished. And yet you are spared with mercy and grace. Either one or the other is going to happen. If you get all this mercy and grace, well, then the crimes aren't punished. Or if all the crimes are punished, you get no mercy or grace. Only in God's economy is that going to happen where both are actually fully met. You're aware of that, right? But here's my encouragement to you, beloved, because some of you I know are evangelists. Some of you I know have the gift and God is telling you, get out there and do this. And what happens is you share with someone and you're like, yes, Jesus is the only way. There's a lot of other ways to hell, but there's one way to heaven. You know, I mean, we're just, it's like narrow is the way and he tells us that. And you're like, well, that just sounds really close minded. But listen how dumb you sound, bro. Can I just be honest with you? Because there is an option, and you don't like it, but there is an option. And you're like, I want more options. How many do you deserve? You deserve none. I deserve none. And he gave me one, and he paid the bill. Exactly what part of this don't you like? Oh, the pride part. But just because you share the truth, and someone storms off. You may be like, oh, I'm not an Elijah. I don't have all this power and I don't. Well, here's the cool part. Elijah didn't even say that to the guy. Let me remind you. He was an unnamed servant. He was an unnamed messenger. You could be that. And go, This is what God says. It's simple. Receive this gift. And someone storms off and you go, Oh, I lost a friend. Oh, well, they didn't take it. But let me remind you. That doesn't mean they won't come back. It just means at that moment, it would be better not to get in front of them. So he storms off, but now he comes back, and what's clear is he doesn't have leprosy. And he not only doesn't have leprosy, he has baby skin. Mr. Chief Commander, baby skin boy. And now he comes back, and he's got a very different attitude. Or does he? Verse 15, he returned to the man of God, he and all of his aides, and he came and he stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. What a fantastic proclamation. That's exactly what God wanted, by the way. And that's why he forced the man to do something simple. To do it simple allowed him to do that. You all with me on that? Now he says, Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Now, I understand what he's doing here. But there is a danger in wanting to pay God back. Because you devalue what it is God gave you. So, Carlos in a situation where he's kind of rough, and and at this particular moment afterwards, this is all hypothetical. Uh, and it's you know it's, I'm making this story up as I go on. And, and he kind of and he heads out to the back alley as guys do to kind of go and hunt for some cardboard to make himself a little thing. And if he can get there quick enough, he's going to go by that sports club around the corner that pumps out hot air at night that smells like a swimming pool. That's kind of like boardwalk on the monopoly of homeless areas around here and uh and you know, and he's like that, and and, and all of that, something really strange happens. Um, as as this is the case now, Marcia gets a tender heart to him, and she goes, "You know what? I happen to have this house, and you know what? You don't have a place to live. It's yours." Carlo is so overwhelmed by this great gift. he says, "That's awesome. Let me pay you back." I've got three pounds 60. That's what I got from, you know, sitting with my cup all day. Now, I think what Carlo's trying to do is still, I mean, he's responding in gratitude. He just doesn't know how to respond in gratitude at the moment. But do you think that would make them even? I have this feeling that there's not enough that Carla will be able to offer her that will pay her back to where they're even. Does that make sense? Because grace is never about the deservedness of the recipient. It is only about the kindness of the giver. And yet we think, well, I need to pay God back. Well, that's what he's trying to do. To whatever degree. Maybe he's just thankful and he's like, this is what we do. This is our culture. We pay back. And I remind you, he's got like a half a mil or whatever, but let's face it. If you were dying of AIDS and someone cured you, do you think it would be worth only a half a mil? Do you think it would be worth 16 mil? As far as I'm concerned, well, for me, I know where I'm going. But if you healed my child, if my child was healed, it would be worth all the money in the world and then some. So Elish's response in verse 16 As the Lord lives before whom I stand, which, by the way, I remind you, Elish has served Elia. And that was the first words that came out of Elia's mouth when he stood before the current king's dad. When he said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. And now Elisha must have learned somewhere in all of this, you're going to stand before God, not just at that great judgment one day, but you stand before him right now. And that's what he's saying. Right now I am walking with this God. And the decisions I make, I am not making when his back is turned because he doesn't turn his back. As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And it says, and he urged him to take it, but he refused. In other words, you know, oh no, 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 really, oh no, 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 thank you, but no, 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 I insist, bro. With all due respect, this is so much more important for me, for you to know. This was grace, and not this was a this was not a barter. This was not a deal being made. You ever tried to make deals with God? Is it somehow you really have anything to offer? Well, I'll give you my total obedience. God's like, yeah, you should already be doing that. And I already know that you mean it, like Peter when he said he wouldn't deny, deny me. But all the best intentions in the world do not create the greatest strength of follow through. Nehomin then says in verse 17, okay, well then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth For your servant will no longer either offer burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods but to the Lord. I'm I'm converted. There's only one God and I'm going to serve Him. Now, would you say that's a pretty awesome conversion? If it ended there, I would say that feels so nice. Let's just end warm, fuzzy, give yourself a hug and praise God. But it doesn't. Yet, Verse 18, or we could say, but, the moment, and there are particular words for this, the moment such a proclamation comes with caveats, you know you're in trouble. Yet, in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, And he leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And he said to him, go in peace. And he departed from him a short distance. My question is, just because Elisha did it, do you think it means it's okay? There's the danger. The question is, what do we know about Nechaman from this point on? Well, we don't get his name mentioned anymore. But we don't read he's fired. We don't read that he quits. What's clear is he's still going to be the commander of this man's army. Do you know by the next chapter they're going to raid again? Do you know by the next chapter they're going to besiege the capital, Samaria, of Israel? All whilst Ben-Hadad is king. And I look at this and I realize it's going to get so bad, people are eating babies to stay alive in the capital now can we all agree that's messed up this is the reason i say that is because we are cautious to not lay a trip on someone when someone says but can i and yet the reason they're asking this is because something inside of them says, this isn't probably right, is it? Listen, he's not going to worship there, is he? Or at least that's what he says. But have you ever heard this expression, silence is complicity? In other words, he's like, the king's going to lean on my hand, and because the king's going to lean on my hand, I'm going to have to bow down. Well, what happens if he doesn't? Well, he could die. Sure. But do you know anybody else that wouldn't bow down in Scripture? I can think of three boys that were Hebrew. And things got pretty hot for them. Well, actually, dare I say things got pretty hot for everybody else but God, did. They, they wound up just fine. But I remember them saying, even if God does not deliver us, oh, God's able to deliver us from this furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and then to go. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down to your dumb idol, buddy. Loose paraphrase. And the reason I say that is, it's amazing what happens when somebody first comes to the Lord, because when you first come to the Lord, you're actually open to receiving the harsh instruction. Remember that? When you really wanted to give God everything, And I watch people flung into compromise, flung into it. Because was like, dude, don't do that. Don't be overboard like that. You know, I just gave my life to Jesus. Should I still be sleeping with my girlfriend? Well, you know, there's grace, man. But you know what you're doing. You are laying bricks of foundation on this person's life for the rest of their life. They'll be like, dude, well, there was, because let's face it, when you first give your life to Christ, every Christian's more mature than you are. I well, this dude. This guy's been like a Christian for like six months, man. He's clearly much more mature than I am. And this is his advice. Now I'm not saying lay heavy chips. The bottom line is, do you realize part of the privilege of being an older brother or an older sister is giving people permission to do what's right? And you don't find that a lot, but You should they're like no to be honest and i'll tell you some of my greatest heroes are people that you have to tell the hard truths to and they're like wow you know what yeah it's interesting you would have you would have wanted something hard to do to be saved but now you don't want to do the hard thing to walk holding you know what i'm saying and there's the danger friend this i i just wonder what would have happened what would have happened if this guy came back with his two mule loads of earth because he's going to worship the living God, and he says, King, I'm sorry to tell you this, but there's only one God, and he's the living God. He's the one, by the way, you've declared war on, for what you might want to consider that. And he's the only one worth worshiping, and I'm going to worship him. I really can't even go into your temple anymore, man. What the king of Syria would have done. Maybe he would have killed this guy, but let's face it, he would have died without any compromise versus becoming continually and chronically the perennial enemy of Israel during this time. Well, this takes us to our last thing. We leave Nahaman on a weird note. But remember how Elisha has a servant who's not been a man of prayer, but flinging rods, and not a man of discernment, but filling pots, and not a man of faith when it comes to feeding lots? Well, now we see the true heart of this servant, Gachazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God. I wonder, don't you wish that it said the men of God? He says to himself, look, my master has spared naham in this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Now clearly, isn't it interesting that God actually put in the bestseller of all times This guy's private conversation with himself. It's like, dude, that guy got off. He got off with murder, literally. He got off with murder. And you know what? That ain't right. Look at all that stuff he showed up with. Did you see those outfits? Pretty styling. Now, let's just be honest. This guy shows up with outfits. You're going to take these outfits. Where in the world are you going to wear them if you're serving the guy that said no to those outfits? You know what I mean? Oh, this old thing, I've had it around forever. Funny, it looks an awful lot like the one I said no to when the guy showed up. Remember? I mean, where do you go with that? By the way, if you remember all the way back in the book of Joshua when they said, okay, you're going to destroy Jericho. When you destroy Jericho, don't take anything from it, but a guy named Achan, but Achan, because he lives up to the name, he's really Achan by the end of it. Remember, he's like, I'm going to take this Babylonian garment. You've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Where did you get a Babylonian garment? Everyone else is kind of in their like you know earthy moo's and you've got like this like shiny lamé thing going on, and they're like, "Where'd you get that?" I don't know. Just found it in my chest that I didn't know until this moment. It was weird to think this stuff, and I can't help but think of John twelve six, where it tells us about Judas Iscariot, because he's rebuking a girl that's lavishing love on Jesus, and he says that should have been sold and given to the poor. And says he didn't say it because he cared about the poor. He said this because he was a thief. And he used to help himself to what. And not only was he a thief, he was the one who held the money box. Those are. That's a bad combination, by the way. The guy that's holding your money box being the thief. He says he used to take. We used to take what was put in it. He's like, sure, I'll hold that box for you. I'm the best person to hold your coffee when we walk down the street because I don't like coffee, so I won't be. And he won't go, hey, how come my cup's half full? Won't be for me unless I trip, but. When it comes to something like this, and the reason I say that is, is it's like the things that are important to you, you really, you become an opportunist in. People say, well, wasn't Judas a Christian that got overtaken? He was never a Christian. That's what's clear in our text. So God, he's not only not a man of prayer, and he's not a man of discernment, and not a man of faith, but he's not a man of contentedness. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some of that back. The Gehazi pursued Nahaman, verse 21. Now don't miss that. He's chasing after the guy. Let me say again, no matter what you tell me is important to you, you can tell me in this room, oh, Jesus is the most important thing, and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And I pray that it's true. What you become an opportunist in is what's really important to you. And every human being that has any form of initiative is an opportunist. And you watch it. I've seen guys that are like, what's the most important thing is getting a godly gal. At least he's a godly gal, but just the same. And you watch, it's like it, the new girl comes in and he's sitting next to her. And it's like, because what's important, you become an opportunist of. For Gahazi, it's like this guy is a bank on hooves. And he's like, he was offering me free withdrawals. I'm jumping on this. So he came running after him, and I remind you, Nechaman, who used to be an enemy of Israel, he's going to wind up ultimately coming to the king, he's going to get down from his chariot to meet him, and he says, is all well? Is is everything okay? Yeah, all right? Verse 22 in Gehath, he says, oh, all is well, my master has sent me. Now you know he's lying, right? So he's had to work out the script in his head. My master has sent me saying, Indeed, just now, funny, just as you left, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Hey, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments, which is roughly worth over 12 grand, to give you an idea. Nehemiah says, Oh, hey, well, hey, please take two. You want one? Take two. So he urged him, which, by the way, now he's like offering him about 25 grand. But now you realize Nechaman's leaving feeling like he's paid his debt. You do realize that, right? So he urged them and he bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to, to two of his servants, that's Nechaman's servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. Now, you really think he's going to get away with this? Verse 24. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in his house. Then he let the men go, okay, thanks guys. Nice delivery, you're off. And they departed. Then he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where'd you go, Gehazi? And he said to him, your servant did not go anywhere. Doesn't this sound like talking to a teenager? Hey, where you been? Nowhere. Funny, I'm not familiar with that place. Notice Elisha's response. He said to him, did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you. It's like God has him on closed circuit TV. He says, Is it time to receive money? And to receive clothing? Olive groves? And vineyards? Sheep and oxen? Male and female servants? Wait a minute. What? Did he give him olive groves? Did he give him vineyards? Did he give him sheep and oxen? And male and female servants? No he didn't. Wait a minute. So why is he saying this stuff? What's clear is Nahaman was not the only person who rehearsed these moments. Hear me on this, because this is the point as we bring this around. James tells us in James 1, verse 14, each one of us are tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. When that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. That is not a laughing matter. So let me kind of play this out for you for a moment here. Is being tempted the sin? It can't be. Because we read that Jesus was tempted at all points, and yet without sin. So temptation and sin are two different things. You all with me on that? Temptation is the opportunity. It comes into your head. And you make a choice. You either make the choice to dish it off and say, that's sin, or you start to entertain it. The moment you entertain it, and think about it like this, someone knocks at your door and they're like, hey, can I come in? You're, now, the moment you invite them in, you're entertaining them. I'm inviting you in to come and take a look around. Let me just say what happens at this moment. Please hear me in this. The moment we start entertaining a temptation, we live in that moment. Please hear me in this. We live in that moment, engulfed and engrossed in the benefits and pleasure of it without any of the inconveniences or expenses of it. When we start entertaining a temptation, all we think about is the pleasure of that moment and we don't think at all about the bill. It's all benefits and no bill. Let's just be honest. We're like, oh, that would be awesome. And we live and we can replay over 30 seconds in our head over and over again without any thought of the bill. We can do that in real life when someone says, you need this new thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that be great to have that thing? And it's like, oh. And then you like, envision yourself romantically having whatever the thing is. you know. And it's like, oh, you need a new Jaguar, right? And it's like, oh, because you know what's going to happen, right? And you, so what happens at first is you start, it's like, oh, yeah. And you know the people are going to bank on this. They're like, yes. Jaden, imagine sitting down in those heated seats, those leather seats, as they massage your shoulders and you sink into it. And then you put your hands on that steering wheel that's built for your hands. And you rev that thing up. And you know the moment you do that and you roll down the window and that classic slow motion, slow roll, every beautiful girl you've ever wanted and liked in your life is standing out there and going, Jaden, now I want to marry you. And you play that moment over and over and over again. But you're like, but it costs 140 grand. Oh, I don't want to see. One. Oh, but rolling down the window. Let me look at, wait, let me get another look. There's enough girls out there. I'm going to look at that second girl this time. There's that girl from when I was six. Oh, I'm missing me now, aren't you? You missed your chance. You know, and it's like, you're. I'm not me. It's entirely Jaden. Anyways, you know. And ultimately what happens is you play it over and over and over again until you get so engrossed in it, you become completely ignorant of any of the payments that would be necessary. And you're like, you know, I don't even want to think about all of that. And you know what you do when you do that? You start numbing yourself to the Holy Spirit. Because you know what the Holy Spirit's going to do at that moment? He's going to go, there is a bill to be paid with this. And the Bible makes clear, sin is fun for a season. But the payment is worse and that's the problem. I pray you never have to have this responsibility where you sit in a room with a man and his wife and you have to tell one of them that the other has been unfaithful. I've been in that situation on both sides. Now you can always tell the difference until the last couple years when you have to tell the wife that the husband's been unfaithful it's usually you and some one other person when you have to tell the wife when you have to tell the husband that the wife's been unfaithful you need four guys because it's fairly possible that guy may freak out all over his wife but you you know if you hear their stories because they always want to tell you all the extenuating circumstances well, you know, I wasn't really getting a lot of time with my husband, you know. He was really busy and I was really busy and we kind of drifted apart. And then it was online and there was this guy and he wanted to listen to me. He was so open and he was like, yeah, I feel you. And I was like, oh God, I, this guy gets me. This guy gets me. Oh, I got it right. And all she could think about was being with him and not way that her husband's going to look at her for the rest of his life, unless God do something dramatic, and the children that are going to what they're going to have to deal with. And the reason I say that is, beloved, please hear me. Gehazi has been a man absorbed in these moments, if you will, but he just doesn't look at the consequences. And now he comes back and now they're just like, hey, where you been, man? Like, I'm in nowhere, man. What are you talking about? I haven't been anywhere. And he's like, are you kidding me? Because I can tell you actually what you said, because it's going to be written in scripture. And not only that, I actually saw the whole thing where you were there talking to the guy. And he goes, and I already know what you want to spend it on. Olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. What would that be today? Yeah, you got money. So you got the cash. Clothing, you got the bling bling, olive groves and vineyards. Now it's like you've got like this whole thing's rolling over and constantly giving you interest. And you don't have, you'll never have to work another day in your life. And not only that, man, you got female and male servants. Think about all of this. You know, interesting. He didn't say anything about a house and all of that, because he could still have all of these things privately without Elisha not seeing if he weren't a prophet. You'd say, well, what about the servants? They would be the ones working the groves and the vineyards. He's got this little side business that all came from this moment. He snuck out and cashed in. But who he cashed in in wasn't just God, though he was clearly robbing God. But you know, the one person he was robbing the most was himself. Because in the end of it all, who is the one person that's going to have to pay for it? Verse 27. Therefore, because this is the case, the leprosy of Nechaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, as white as snow. By the way, it's kind of the last woman he's going to be serving him. Well, maybe. We can argue over that next week. But I don't want to point out this. This guy came back with some cash, a couple changes of clothing, and he walked out there and none of that cash And none of that clothing is going to mean anything to him. What's he going to do at a leper colony with new changes of clothing? What's he going to do at a leper colony with all this money? Do you think it's going to get him a nicer cot at the hospice? Do you think at that moment he would have traded all of that back in and everything else too? Just to not have AIDS? Just to not have, in this case, leprosy? But of all the things he could have had at this moment, leprosy, I think, is a brilliant thing because, remember, leprosy, you get numb to death. That's the point. Beloved, please hear me in this as we go to prayer. You start ignoring what God tells you about the price to be paid for our stupid actions, and you numb yourself to the Holy Spirit, and you're numbing yourself to death. And God doesn't want that. You're like, but if I start like waking up again... I'm going to feel pain. Yeah. But that pain says you're alive, is what it says. It says that you're susceptible to the touch. It's like, God, I want all of your power, but I don't want any of your conviction. It's like, God, I'll take all of your commission, but no mission. I'll take all of your provision, but I have no interest in any mission. Well,. And I ask myself, Am I robbing God? Am I trying to cash in on him? Do you know what tells us that in First Corinthians six, nine and ten, that thieves are among the list of people who will never inherit the kingdom of God? But now, you know the one thing that God really wants is me. Deuteronomy six five makes that really clear, and Jesus reiterates it in Matthew twenty two, thirty seven, Mark twelve, thirty, and Luke ten twenty seven you just love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because if you did that, we aren't going to be arguing over these trivial matters. And if we're arguing over these trivial matters, what's what's clear is there's something extremely essential underneath all of this that's the problem. And this is my prayer as we go to prayer now. That God would rip us open again, recircumcise our hearts to the changes that he wants to make. To the choices he really wants us to make, and that we would actually reprioritize, or if you will, God reprioritize our hearts in such a way that we become opportunists of the things that are really important. Because in the end of it all, this man will spend the rest of his life a leper, and what's worse is it seems like his whole family is going to be that way too. And I want to warn you: you numb yourself to the Holy Spirit, you numb yourself to the move of God. And he's like, well, I'm not doing that because I've got his power and all these great things are happening. Well, yeah, you know, maybe that's happening. But the bottom line is that doesn't mean you're not a leper, huh? Interesting, because God's going to actually show us a couple lepers, by the way, in chapter, uh, as we move on to this, in chapter 7. And it's, by the way, he'll show us four of them. And by the way, they're going to actually be people who bring salvation to all of these other people because they start to feel again in regards to the thing that matters most. And I think it's interesting. It's a redemption of this particular statement. But understand, you numb yourself like this. Everybody you love around you is going to be affected. And I would just love tonight for you and me. Wouldn't it be just great if we were in this place where like, you know, Lord, all that I have is yours for real? Well, pray with me, would you please? Lord, I do find it interesting the next time that we see Skahatsu listed by name will be in chapter 7 when he's actually hanging out with the king. And I have to imagine that's kind of two lepers hanging out with each other. Even though the king we don't read has leprosy per se in a physical sense, it's clear he has it spiritually. Next chapter we will see that there is a servant or the servant of Elisha the Lord and I can't up and think that may be this guy, but we don't have his name listed until seven. And I just, I realize, Lord, that we keep getting afraid that if we would just open our hearts to your convictions, Lord, that we would go crazy. And, and the only reason we go crazy is out of disobedience, not because you would make our lives some kind of super confined thing, but just a sheltered thing, protected from the diseases and the pathogens of life that would so overtake us. So it's my humble prayer right now for myself, but also for every brother and sister out there right now, God. Would you please recircumcise our hearts? Let us feel again the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Give us a fresh hunger for obedience. We would be like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I know that's wrong and I don't want to jump into that. And just because we're Christians does not mean we can't submit to bondage, because Paul himself said, Why would I want to submit myself to that which I was once bondage to? Lord, forgive us for where we would give stupid counsel to a new Christian to give them freedom to re inject some of the disease back into their life when what they're really looking for is. Is it wrong? And if Scripture says it's wrong, Lord, give us the boldness and the courage in love to speak the truth. And Lord, we don't want to rob from you the one thing you really want, which is us. Our hearts, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. Lord, let it be yours. And I know if we hand it to you, you're going to use it to bless other people. So Lord, we hand it to you. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus, Father, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You sent him there to do that. So that by grace, all of our sins could be paid for. And just like your scripture promised on the third day he rose again after being buried. and In that resurrection offers us a new life. And that new life is one where we feel now. Where we know your Holy Spirit's leading And Lord, I just pray that we would all make that choice to say, "Jesus, don't just be my Savior, be my Lord." And in being my Lord, you lead me. But it's interesting because as our shepherd, you lead us, you make us lie down, and you list, and you lead us, Lord." And I realize that there are times we need to lie down, Lord, in those green pastures and to drink from the the living water. And we've so developed a taste, Lord, for the wrong. And we've developed lifestyles that are prone to wander. But tonight, Lord, we pray. That you reignite us for you. Let our hearts be open to the move of your Holy Spirit, which first and foremost is the catalyst of intimacy. Who is the catalyst to, of intimacy between us and you? So we move everything between us, which by the way, clearly you didn't put anything there, I did. And Jesus says, I declare you a fresh and a new Lord in my life. I confess to you, I don't personally possess the strength to make every right decision. So I give you permission to overtake my heart and mind so that those decisions be made as they should. I don't want to die a leper, and I don't want my family to receive it either. Open my heart, Lord, to humble myself as ultimately Nechaman had to not to exalt myself as Gahazi did instead. So I give you permission and open free range, Lord, to just kind of get in and muck about my life in a way, Lord, that you wish to bring me to that place, Lord, where I'm completely yours and completely usable without finding you at any point or concern over it. So Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life all over again and make this night your night this life, your life. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.